You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. Hey people, how are you doing? Welcome to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, recorded live on Tuesday nights uh, on the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel. I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Apologies. I am three minutes late. We're having a few technical difficulties, but we're here now. And um, if you are listening to the podcast, then this is recorded live. And the advantage to that is people can come in and ask our wonderful guests uh, questions directly. And if you do come in, then um, I can bring your question up uh, on the screen. For example, Glenn Murphy is here. Glenn Murphy, if you're Joining us live now, you can see there's Glenn's wonderful stoic presence there in photo form up on the screen with a good evening, everybody's. Uh, Gary Benson is in the house, founder of the STA, Sports Therapy Association. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Nikki Mansfield is here saying, oof, only just remembered to tune in. Still got here before Matt. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Nikki, for rubbing that one in. And Isabel Hodgkiss, how are you doing, Isabel? Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. My first time seeing this live. Very excited. <gasps> pressure is on. Pressure's not on me. I'm always the same, but pressure is definitely on my fantastic guest, not at all, because I'm so excited um, about um, tonight's episode. Um, we're going to be talking to Dr. Sarah Rollins, um, who is um, a fantastic um, person to talk to about buttock pain and indeed everything hips. A magnificent past. So I'm so excited um, for Sarah to tell you about in person. Uh, wonderful um, experience and all sorts of things. So before I do bring um, Sarah Rollins up in person, um, just a thanks to last week's guest, Holly Sopper-Doyle. Um, Holly was here talking about hip dysplasia. It was a really good episode. And thank you for everybody who has sent emails in and 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 thanked us because it is um, an area, once again, which has terrible lack of awareness, a lot of misinformation. Um, and, and once again, an area where people potentially who need to see the right therapist to be diagnosed properly, they may well come through our doors first of all. Um, with pain, with hip flexor pain. Um, it's never about the hip flexor, um, as Holly said last week. But yeah, they may come with hip flexor pain. They may come with adductor pain. Uh, they may come with pains which could be masquerading. And we think, right, we're going to stretch that hip flexor out. We're going to massage here. We're going to prod here. We're going to give you exercises here. And we're not doing the subjective. It was so wonderful. And, and I got an email saying this that the email actually said, there's a bit of a pattern here with your podcast, isn't there, Matt? Your guests are really homing in on the subjective, and that's what it's all about. If you start twisting and prodding and pulling somebody and you haven't even asked whether they've got any um, family history of blah, 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 um, or asking about um, flexibility was another one, party tricks. We heard this with hypermobility. Ask the person if they're famous for doing any party tricks or anything like that, because normally that's a giveaway sign that they have been doing that. And it could be um, a link towards hypermobility and the other things associated with that. So wonderful episode. It was uh, really nice to sit back and listen to Holly Sopper-Doyle educating us. Obviously, it's available on all podcast apps. And if you want to watch the video, then it's there waiting for you on YouTube um, and also at thesta.co.uk. There we go. Um, we are continuing our focus on the hip 
tonight. Like I say, Dr. Sir Rollins is going to be here talking about buttock pain. So not too much of a subject there. Um, huge topic, but we are actually dividing into two parts. Uh, and I'm happy to say that next week, I believe Sarah Rollins is coming back again. And with um, her is going to be Ema um not emma no one call her emma okay you've heard it here now i'm warning you um it's going to be um sports physio pretty sure yep sports physio um emma i'm just checking i think it was acton let me get this right please da, 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 da. yes emma acton Emma acton it's going to be such a Freudian Homer simpson slip now Emma acton's gonna be joining us looking at the practical side of what to do if you've been given the correct diagnosis, maybe if you've referred someone on and it comes back or or if you're a sports therapist and you're allowed to diagnose, then we're looking at the practical um, things to do with this person rather than just letting them slip, getting undiagnosed or being in the wrong staff or maybe even being scanned and led down the road, which they really don't need to go down. So, yeah, double show for buttock pain. Really excited about that. Um, so that's it. Right. Just checking here. Everybody's happy. Everyone can hear me. OK. I want to make sure that's happening. Everyone comfortable in the live lounge? Good. Marco Mendonza, that's it, isn't it? same as Mendoza, um, is here. Good evening to you. Right. So without further ado, what I'm going to do, um, sit back, enjoy yourselves. Feel free to ask questions if you have joined us live. And I shall bring up Dr. Sarah Rollins. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy. There we go. Right, let's see if this works, Dr. Sarah Rollins. Can you see yourself on YouTube? Oh, no, I can now. You can now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was just cutting in. Right, so we had a little of a technical difficulty with me. I'm going to accept all the blame here. Uh, where are you, out of interest? Here. Where are you based? Where am I? Yeah. Well, so I um, I work um, not far from Guildford. So one direction, I work in all the shots uh, for the MOD um, at a rehab centre, and I work in pure sports medicine at Rains Park, which is not far from Epsom. Oh, fantastic. I know Epsom very well. I used to go out with a certain daughter of the headmaster there. So, yeah, I used to walk around Epsom quite a lot. Yes, yeah, lovely place. All right. So I'm, I'm down in Brighton. So we're not too well near Brighton. So we're not too far away at all. Um, fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, I've I wanted to start off by saying that, I mean, all of my guests, wonderful people, they are. I've got fantastic history and CVs and experiences, but yours kind of shone out once again. I'm like, wow. Here's another CV. Um, you've 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 got so much going on. You mentioned Ministry of Defence there, where you work as well as pure sports medicine. Um, if I remember rightly, about eleven years has it you've been involved in the army? Well, you were there uh, in the army for eleven years. We've got to go back a little bit now. We're going to take it back. You yeah. tell me, how did that all start? Uh, so, I mean, I joined uh, I joined the OTC when I was still a, a medical student. So I uh, have been involved with the MOD since I was about um, nineteen years old. Uh, which is obviously not very long ago. <laughs> exactly, um, I was going to say, three, yeah. four, four years. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, however, in that three or four years, I've managed to squeeze in uh, a 10-year army career um, alongside my uh, medical training and also 10 years or is it 11 years at the, yeah, 11 years this January at the Regional Rehab Unit in Aldershot, uh, which is, um, so the way that uh, the MOD uh, rehabilitation system is set up is that Everybody's heard of Headley Court. Well, Headley Court's now closed and there is now a new place called uh, Stanford Hall, the Defence Medical Rehabilitation Centre. Um, but that's a kind of tertiary centre, referral centre. Um, and so around the country, we've got 12 regional rehabilitation units, 
which is um, essentially a gym uh, with rehab instructors, physios, rehab physios, and then um, I run a medical clinic where we do diagnostics, um, injections, ultrasounds, that kind of thing. So we're kind of a tertiary, sorry, secondary care centre and uh, Stanford Hall is the tertiary centre. Wow, amazing. So, um, and you mentioned ultrasound just there and you, you're very much involved in ultrasound, aren't you? You wrote the FSCM UK training guidelines and that's all used yeah, now, so isn't I it? Training and mentoring? So they did have some. Yeah, and oh, they, you updated you know, them. To be fair, they were um, based on the uh, Royal College of Radiology guidelines, um, but there was a need to kind of... Um, uh, build some guidelines so that people who are not radiologists uh, who work in sports and exercise medicine had some, you know, training. So some clearer training guidelines that are a bit more like adult education where you do training and then demonstrate competence uh, and you demonstrate um, that you're keeping your competence by annual appraisal and um, ongoing learning. Um, and that's, so it's, it includes the syllabus, but also includes, uh, recommendations on numbers of cases and logging and things like that um so yeah okay marvelous and before we get on to the topic of buttock pain which i know we'll talk about it's such a huge subject i'm sorry to kind of throw that into your lap um but then um, we should also mention as well that you're pretty active as a runner aren't you oh yeah <laughs> so uh my main sport is orienteering which uh is a running sport it sometimes surprises people because they have an experience at school where they uh, get it given a map and it's very wet and rainy and muddy and they get dragged around the bit of countryside but um real orienteering is uh is like cross-country running but you just uh don't have a marked route so you have to work out your own route mm-hmm. so i was staggering around in the new forest um on sunday in the ice which was both fantastic uh, but also uh, yeah a bit chilly and i'm gonna to have to squeeze it out obviously because as with all my guests you're so modest but um represented um Great Britain, yeah, 11 World Orienteering Championships. Yeah. That's still correct. <laughs> um, I've been very lucky to represent Great Britain 11 times at the World Champs with a fair few World Cups thrown in as well. I mean, um, yeah, uh, I retired, oh, actually, I can't remember how many years. I think I was about 10 years ago now, perhaps. Uh, mm. But I still um, uh, participate as a master and I go to the World Masters most years and was lucky to win a gold medal last year. So, um yeah it's brilliant it was lucky yeah, it was luck they got you it was it wonderful bits of forest yeah i've worked with a few orienteering athletes in my time and they're fantastic creatures i mean especially when you're looking at the distances and <laughs> and and the and the the tales i get of oh yeah always hallucinating and you just have to ignore it and crack on with it and and um i always remember people who were trying to get past that hundred miles were kind of there was a couple oh, I who think you're th- talking about ultra running so ultra running um, but orienteering with maps and things as well uh, okay, so they're so, going across so, yeah, and so most yeah most orienteering is not quite so far um most orienteering is uh, up to about uh well it depends what class you're in but it could be up to uh 10k 11k something like that so it's uh, more like a cross-country race uh, oh right okay but yes i mean obviously people do do things like uh the original mountain marathon the om and things like that and i guess mm-hmm. that's still orienteering but that's kind of like mountain orienteering um yeah i've heard tales of where like the winner takes the wrong, sorry the person at the front takes the wrong direction in the whole of the rest of the pack just following them thinking well that's the way to go and then uh, and i've worked with a few athletes who <laughs> still managed to win but they led the whole of the rest of the pack the wrong way um because it's just uh yeah crazy yeah. trying to find your way around out there 
but yeah amazing amazing athletes i salute you all i could never do that i can't even get to brighton from lansing safely if i'm driving i've got ridiculous orientation it's a joke yeah and a gold medal last year as well 2022 so definitely very much involved still um so yeah amazing right then um buttock pain very big topic isn't it you've mentioned a few times to me now we'll do what we can because it's huge isn't it there's an awful lot can be going on yes uh, there's a lot of anatomy uh some of it's a bit complicated i would say that uh it's probably an area that scares doctors and physios and it scares everyone a little bit um once you start learning what's the possible cause it it all gets a little bit uh too much so hopefully we'll be able to simplify it though and and uh, kind of um, because it doesn't have to be complicated and you can, you know, um, it's just about recognizing when uh, perhaps somebody might need to be referred on and what you could be doing in the meantime. Um, yeah. So I think uh, a good place is, uh, to start is, um, yeah, uh, just defining what we mean by uh, the buttock anyway. Um so should we get started? I think so. I'm just uh, pleased. You've already, I think you've already done a great thing by saying it is complex because having taught the syllabi for level three and level four sports massage therapy, a lot of therapists fresh off the block love it when someone comes with buttock pain because it's kind of the area that's concentrated most on because it gives people a chance to practice their soft tissue release on the piriformis and and dig elbows in and it's kind of welcomed and people are generally excited if they want to demonstrate something oh can i do the buttocks can i do the buttocks so i'm hoping that people listening are already thinking wow there's i thought that was a just a big biggest muscle in the body and someone to get your elbow in and, and it was pretty obvious what was going on but the fact you said it is complicated and it could be quite a lot of stuff going on has opened a door, I'm hoping, in a lot of people's ears. So, yeah, looking forward to it. So, well, I mentioned piriformis. How often, I mean, I can't say how often is it the piriformis, but do, do you see that a lot of people do jump in thinking it's something to do with piriformis too much of the time? Um, uh, yes, I, I would say, yes, that can be the case. So if you want some figures... So um, obviously, having done a bit of background reading, I don't generally do figures because um, I, I forget them. And also, they don't actually necessarily help the patient. But um, apparently, 6 to 36% of people that turn up with buttock pain or pain in their leg and their buttock have uh, piriformis syndrome. Um, so, um, you know, it could be, you know, 6%. It could be a third of the you see. So... I guess it depends which literature you go to, but um, the piriformis syndrome, or at least pain that is related to uh, the sciatic nerve uh, that is not caused by the lumbar spine, but perhaps caused by muscular uh, spasm or overload, which people could call piriformis syndrome, is definitely a thing. Um, And what we mustn't do is, um, you know, uh, get uh, cross with each other or uh, cross with our patients for trying to make sense of uh, what's going on and actually you know um uh, people come in saying you know i've got sciatic pain and that's absolutely um under- you know i understand exactly what they mean by that um and so and it and sometimes it is piriformis syndrome so um but it's just understanding what that means what you can do to help and when it might not be that that's such good advice because that looks at the other side where 
if you are a little bit more evidence informed or evidence and you've listened to this podcast, then just because you get a patient coming in saying, oh yeah, I've got sciatica pain or I've got piriformis syndrome, then yeah, it's important not to just dismiss it and say, oh no, the last person you saw that, do you know, everybody says that it's not actually that at all because it's not professionally going to do you any favors. Patients don't like to hear about bickering and competing amongst therapists, do they? So I like the fact you say that, that yeah, if they think it's, you know, the sciatic nerve and that's the cause of it, then there's no need to deny that. You can go use their language. Um, it's interesting I mean, I know, I mean, I, I give it as well because it's just interesting. I think when you're looking at the anatomy, but I think it's only, I think it's very low. I think it's about 17%. And we teach this because it's just a bit of interesting anatomy where the sciatic nerve actually pierces the muscle. It's something where eyes light up and people go, Ooh, that's interesting. And you can normally find a video or something from it. Um, is that something in your experience you see where that is the cause of it? No. Um, so first, first thing to say is, is that, uh, you know, uh, well, this is the Beeson and Anson class, classification of the um, different uh, anatomy of the static nerve related to piriformis. And mm-hmm. I always think with these things is the patient didn't have any pain and they've had that anatomy all their life. And now they have some anatomy or was it something that happened that has it might have perhaps put them at risk. But they've also done studies on cadavers where they've seen people who've got uh, sciatic nerves gone through the piriformis, round the piriformis, part through, part above, part below, and uh, they had no symptoms at all. So we, it, we can't say it's definitely anatomy. And then when people do get symptoms and they happen to have altered anatomy, we can't say it's definitely the anatomy. Um, and I think we're just getting our knickers in a twist about something that's quite fancy. It's quite it, it's the sort of thing that humans love to latch on to say oh i've got a sciatic nerve that's going probably it's probably going through my piriformis that's the reason why i have all these problems but actually if we just think about doing the simple things trying to restore good movement trying to gate re-educate to trying to uh uh improve uh, range of movement all these kind of things that hopefully we'll talk about next week mm-hmm. um if we just do those well then people can be restored restored to not having pain yeah, they've still got the same anatomy. Um, we don't go around chopping people's static nerves free of the piriformis for the most part. So, uh, oh, great yeah. point. Yeah, and, and again, Sally, it does happen. We do do get excited by the idea of something that's abnormal or slightly different, and then yeah, patients could easily start blaming that for the pain and just think that's it. I can't do anything about this, and they're not going to look at other strategies. Yeah, very interesting. So, okay then. Um, do 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 we stick with piriformis syndrome or do we start talking about other things it could be or things which you feel are um are missed out well i think a good place to start might be just to define what we mean by the buttock okay um yeah so um it's basically anything above the gluteal fold so the crease of your bum at the bottom and then it goes up to the greater trochanter which is your uh, femur the bit that sticks out at the side and then it goes up to your anterior superior iliac spine, which is the little knobbly bit at the front of your pelvis. And then it goes back along your iliac crest. And then the, it goes to the midline. So basically anything between the midline, the anterior superior iliac spine, your bum crease and your iliac crest, that's your buttock. And of course, you've got <laughs> one on the other side. So if people come with buttock pain, uh, you, or very often they will have it on the one side and I guess what we want to know is, 
is it caused by something on the inside of the buttock that's causing pain in the buttock? Is it caused by something outside the buttock that's causing pain in the buttock? Or is it causing, is it something inside the buttock that's causing pain inside the buttock and outside the buttock? And that's basically our three options. And there are clues as to which it could be. And um, as a bit like a stuck record, a lot of those clues come in the subjective history. Um, so I think it's worthwhile then exploring what is what is inside the bit that I've just defined. So we've got our so, and, and in fact, before even that, perhaps thinking about what the, the that area does. So the pelvis is this wonderful weight bearing structure that is protective of what's going on inside the pelvis. And yet it also has to allow the passage of a fetus or a, a, a baby in the, the female anatomy. And it also has to have all the attachments for the trunk muscles and the leg muscles. So it's this kind of junctional zone between the bit above, the bit below, and the actual hip joint itself, uh, as well as being this dynamic and uh, have some slight rotation and uh, also allow, you know, babies and also pass urine, go to the toilet, all of those structures. It has to be both, uh, yeah, structural and supportive, but also allow dynamic movement. Um, uh, so in order to do that, that's why it's complicated. And there's an awful lot of stuff in that area. And so if we're thinking about what is then in the buttock, we've got glute max, glute med and glute min. They're quite nice and easy to remember. And they're attached around the kind of iliac crest. In fact, I have um, a pelvis that I can show you. I just have to have one here I made earlier. <laughs> um, so you've got your gluteal muscles that will, <laughs> can att will attach here. So you've got your glute max, glute med, and glute min. And they will come down and they are varyingly attached to the femur. Um, then we have other muscles that are deep to that. So our sort of po deep posterior hip muscles which include piriformis. Um, and I'm going to come back and talk about the anatomy of piriformis in a minute um, because it's reasonably interesting. Well, I think it's very interesting, but then I'm a bit odd sometimes. Um, then we have uh, the uh, four other deep posterior hip muscles, which are the gemelli, superior and inferior, with obturator internus in between, which also is an interesting muscle, which we can talk about. By the way, I'm an anatomy enthusiast. Yes. Um, and then we have quadrator femoris, which is the final uh, posterior deep hip muscle. So there's all these things going on behind. And in between the two, we have this deep gluteal space or subgluteal space. And I've, we've called it a space. It's not actually really a space. Um, and if you look at it on ultrasound on an MRI scan, yes, there is an area that allows the passage of other stuff that isn't muscles. It's not a huge space. It's not like you go in there and there's room to move. It is full of uh, vessels. It's full of nerves. Um, and it's full of then a little bit of fatty tissue to protect those structures. Um, but in that space, we have our sciatic nerve. Uh, we've got a variety of other nerves going to other little um, other muscles. Um, we've got vessels. Um, and as I say, we've got some fat. Um, and uh, it's that deep gluteal space where we might then get the compression of the sciatic nerve that might then give you your sciatic type symptoms, which we can come back to. Of course, then we've got the things 
that are slightly more outside the buttock region, which would be our hamstrings connecting to the bottom of the pelvis at our ischial tuberosity here. And the pelvis sits like this. So it doesn't sit like that. It sits like this. And so they attach at the ischial tuberosity down here. Then we've obviously got our sacroiliac joints at the back, one on each side. And then we've got our lumbar spine, which is also outside the buttock region. Uh, so DSIJs actually are within the buttock. So we've got our joints, we've got our muscles, we've got nerves, we've got vessels. And, um, but we mustn't let them frighten us. If you are an anatomy enthusiast, it's not that difficult to go and look up what there is. Um, but um, it, and understanding their functions does help with diagnosis. Uh, and I do prefer to have an anatomical diagnosis. Um, I know that there's uh, various schools of thought where people um, are not necessarily as keen on having a mechanical cause for pain at all times. And absolutely, there are reasons why people might have pain that include um, you know, psych psychosocial factors. But nevertheless, particularly in the population I look after, uh, either in sport or through the military, there often is a structural uh, cause because it might be in a traumatic injury and or uh, some kind of overload injury and I like to be able to uh, even if it it's not completely accurate to, to be able to hang my diagnosis on something that makes sense in the clinical picture having taken the history so because I think that gives both myself and gives the patient some 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 context and some control that then allows them to go, right, I can see, I can, that makes sense. I can see what I need to do. I can see what you're saying. And therefore I will engage with uh, doing what I think would be helpful. Uh, and you're right, you, you mentioned about, uh, you know, talking in the patient's language. So I will try to, if they've used the word sciatica, I might. And absolutely, um, um, uh, uh, it is a, a word that describes uh, pain that can start in the buttock uh, and that often refers into the leg. Um, I suppose the technical term would be kind of radicular pain, so pain related to a nerve. Um, and um, that nerve doesn't have to be injured, it can just be irritated, causing, causing pain that, that then refers into the glute or refers down further down the leg. I thought for a long time, is there anything I've... No, that's wonderful. It's a fun, really, really useful. I'm, I can sense people listening to podcasts ticking things off and answering the questions before you said them and testing their anatomy. So it's a great breakdown of what's going on underneath there. I'm interested in talking of pain. Often we try and kind of distinguish what's going on by the type of pain that someone's experiencing. So typically if you yeah. look up kind of sciatic pain and they talk about something that's going to be more sharp or burning. And you, mm. if you're looking out for those words and the patient using those words, then, then that's supposed to help. How much does that help in your experience or can can the pain experience be different depending on the person? Yeah, so people do use lots of different words for pain. Um, and I think it is very subjective. So the patient will choose the words that mean the most to them. For me, it's about putting it in context of where the pain starts and where the pain goes often. And it's associated mm -hmm. features. Like if I've got someone who's got pain that starts in my bum and it goes down my leg, and also, I have pins and needles and numbness. So I'm thinking, okay, this is enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but even that kind of referred pain, again, from the glute into the thigh is going to be into the posterior thigh, is going to make me start using my sieve that says, okay, well, it's very likely to be one of these few things. It's not going to be, it's very unlikely to be those mm -hmm. things. Um, 
And so, yeah, defining pain is really important. And this is part of the history is one of the biggest things that certainly doctors get taught at medical school is, you know, understanding where the pain is um, and, you know, uh, what is it like? Where does it go? What makes it better? What makes it worse? Um, how bad is it? Um, there's some people that so I always ask people how bad things are and I ask them to give me a number out of 10. Um, and then and there are some clinicians that prefer not to put a number on it. Um, but I'm I'm quite a sort of logical person. I like working in kind of uh, it, it, it helps me to understand the patient better, even if it's not just their pain, even if it's their, the psychological impact of their pain. I want to know if this pain means a 10 out of 10 for them, mm -hmm. even if I think, well, you don't look like you're in 10 out of 10 pain, doesn't matter to them. It means it is bad because it affects their function. It, it, it affects their sleep. So I'm interested to know, is it 10 out of 10? Is it one out of 10? Um, and I ask them, what is it when it's on a really bad day at its worst? What is your 10 out of 10 pain or eight out of 10? And then I usually follow that up by what causes eight out of 10 pain for you? So I want to know what their, <clears throat> you know, their significant aggravating factors are. And then also I want to know, well, what is it on a good day? Can you ever have no pain? And sometimes patients will go, uh, yeah, sometimes I don't have much pain at all. And I'll go, no, do you have ever have zero out of 10? Nothing. And if they, it gives, it just makes me, it helps me to understand if they say, yes, I can be completely pain free compared to the person that goes, oh no, there's always something. There's always something in the background. Um, and then, yes, and then I like to know sort of, so I do spend a lot of time uh, understanding what their pain means for them. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, then I want to know the associated features. I want to know where else it goes. You know, does it stay in your bottom? Does it go anywhere else? Um, and, uh, I, and I want to know, is it cyclical? You know, does it come on, for example, in women with their period? That might make me start thinking about, oh, actually, is this something else altogether, you know, related to, for example, menstruation or endometriosis or something like that. So something not even in the buttock that I haven't even mentioned yet. Um, and then, of course, I do want to check my red flag. So I want to make sure I'm thinking about night pain, rest pain, weight loss, night sweats, um, uh, you know, um, uh, then I want to know about inflammatory causes, you know, do they have psoriasis? Do they have stiffness in the morning that lasts longer than 30 minutes? Do they have uh, dry eyes, joint pains, uh, changes in their fingernails? Um, and um, people with um, inflammatory causes often, um, I will say to them, you know, do you wake up in the night and do you get up and walk around? So if you have inflammatory back pain or pain wherever it is, often they... It's, it, they feel better when they move. So inflammatory pain to your kind of um, your your non-inflammatory back pain or, or sciatic type pain where they're like, no, if I possible and I'll take some painkillers until it goes away. Um, and uh, a, a, a military rheumatologist always told me that if they get up in the night and walk around and start doing exercise, that's that's inflammatory pain. And for obviously then also things like infection. So it is possible to have, in, you know, uh, infections um, in the deep gluteal space and around the, the buttocks as well. So we're thinking about fevers, you know, systemic, so body symptoms, you know, and diarrhea, constipation, that kind of thing. 
because there's so much. It's not just the outside of the pelvis. You've got a whole load of stuff going on inside the pelvis, and suddenly you're dealing with medical issues, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not so far away. So, um, And that's not to frighten people at all, and most people that will turn up wanting a sports massage won't have a medical problem because human beings are sensible and generally won't take their change in bowel habit to somebody who wants um, to do soft tissue work. Um, mm-hmm. But these are important things to talk about. And um, I think that often you're in a very priv- privileged position when you lay hands on someone, because often, and certainly, you know, having spoken to my physio colleagues, because uh, doctors don't generally do that kind of hands-on treatment. Yes, we examine, but we're not really treating patients. And it's in those moments when you do get an opportunity to actually you lay your hand and actually see if you can genuinely make someone better by touching them they will often tell you things that um they perhaps wouldn't have told people because it's there's there's a relationship there um that you develop and they will maybe open up to you about the other stuff that goes on and there's obviously there's that therapeutic value in that as well so um um i think i've got slightly off track there but i'm very enthusiastic about um giving patients that opportunity to open up about the other things um, definitely no there's again i can imagine so much worse yeah i can imagine um people listening thinking i've got to have at least another page here on my um, subjective on the on the medical questionnaire i give people because you've mentioned um things which just aren't taught on courses unfortunately and we had jack march on um rheumatology physio um and again he was talking about things where you've got to ask these questions because once again not diagnosed properly for maybe I think it was sometimes up to 10 years we had somebody talking about endometriosis and all sorts of things where they they may well come to us because they're living a life where they're fed up it's been going on maybe for five years it's up and down and they just think I just want to I just want to lie down just relax and they'll come through the door and sometimes you know sometimes it can be us if we ask the right question and we recognize that they've ticked it and have a little conversation then we just say oh I recommend that you go and see this person or and that might just cut that five years of, of no suitable help um, down and, and just help, help change that person's life. So I like to think that, yeah, soft tissue therapists should feel empowered by these sort of conversations. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Because there's nothing to be frightened of at all. Mm. Um, you know, and um, uh, it's uh, all, all clinicians will, you know, um, I'm going to say fail. I don't mean fail. We'll forget to ask perhaps a key question every now and again. And that's why the power of coming back to things as well and seeing them a second time and having thought things over and they might tell you something else. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, then. How about um, pain when sitting down? Because a lot of time that's kind of jumped out. Oh, it's ta- it's, it's, it's taxi driver syndrome. Did you know piriformis? Someone's called taxi driver syndrome. And, you, and, and suddenly you're telling this story and you've automatically assumed it's going to be piriformis syndrome because they said it hurts when they sit down. Again, that could be a symptom associated with quite a few things, couldn't it? Mm, absolutely. So, I mean, um, one of the things that we sit on when we sit down, we sit on this tripod, which is our bones here. So our two, can you see that? The two ischial tuberosities mm-hmm. and our coccyx. And those are definitely three places where you can have pain generation. So at our ischial tuberosity is where our hamstrings attach. And so people with proximal hamstring tendinopathy or ischial bursitis, so there's a bursa that sits on top of them, but they often go hand in hand um, unless they've got true inflammatory issues. And also coccidinia, so people who have pain at their coccyx. 
um, they will all complain of pain sitting down. Um, and uh, but luckily they're quite in separate locations. So mm-hmm. you know all it takes is well is it in the midline where your coccyx is, or is it you know right at the bottom of your bottom, and you can poke it. All of these are pokeable, mm-hmm. and so you know you've got your history, and then you can ask them exactly where it hurts. In fact, most of the things in the glutes, you can generally they'll tell you where it hurts, and you can say put one finger where you think your pain is at its worst. It's, and sometimes, and I'll say, if you don't know, it doesn't matter. But if you can give it a go, why don't you let? Why don't you show me? And that's really handy because if they're pointing more around the ASIS, you're thinking, well, it's probably more likely to be something like TFL. Mm-hmm. Where if they're post- pointing around the SIJ, similarly, um, if they're pointing just right at the glute, not so helpful because you've got three glutes, four deep uh, posterior hip muscles, sciatic nerve, a whole bunch of other nerves and vessels. Um, but nevertheless, then you can do other things to see what the hip range of movement is like. And you can see if you can change their pain. And I expect Ema will talk about that next week um, because um, she's, it's the power of trying to understand what something is, trying to make a diagnosis, coming up with something that makes sense because of the history and because of you've examined it. And then um, something that doctors can't do so much and something that physios and soft tissue therapists can do, which is you can try something to see if it makes their pain better and that also tells you um things related to the diagnosis because if um so for example if i've got someone who's uh, come in and says they have uh, radicular pain so uh, sorry they won't say that they might say they have sciatic pain so pain in their bum and going down their leg and i'm thinking right this could be from their back or it could be coming from their bum so it could be piriformis type um sciatic nerve entrapment or irritation and so one of the ways that you might try to establish uh, which it is, because the tests are often very similar, would be to have a look at their hip range of movement. And if on the side where they have their uh, leg pain, they also have restricted hip range of movement into um, external rotation. And when you do external rotation, for example, uh, they get their static um, type symptoms or they say that when they put their foot over their opposite knee so sitting a bit like a tailor would they say oh that brings on my symptoms you start thinking okay so it could actually be sciatic nerve entrapment around the deep gluteal space we are so essentially a piriformis syndrome and so then i will say to ema because i the way the mod works we work in a clinic together at the same time i'll say ema maybe you would be able to try to see if you can change this pain and ema will then do some soft tissue therapy immediately in clinic and if the pain changes we can be more reasonably sure that it's actually coming from outside the back whereas if nothing changes we say okay so it may well be coming from the back in fact instead Uh, at which point then we can put our diagnostics down that line rather than um, perhaps saying well in fact you probably just need rehab Um, you need uh, flexibility, mobility work, strength work, um, maybe some um, techniques to do self-release, um, maybe some hands-on as well. Um, so, so yeah, so um, I've forgotten what the original question was. But, yes, there's, there's great ways of working out by using manual therapy to decide which diagnosis um, it could be. Definitely. I think that's a wonderful question you mentioned of just ask. And I think sometimes it's forgotten. We, we, we try and perform tests um, on the clients or patients to provoke pain rather than just saying, 
What is it during the week or during the day that you feel this pain getting out your car, getting in your car, crossing your legs, sitting, like you said, like a tailor or something, if they do that. Um, so yeah, just asking them, let they, they, it's the old thing, isn't it? And we've had it time and time again in here. If you ask enough questions, then they'll tell you kind of what's wrong with them. You know, and if you keep asking questions then they'll tell you how to yeah, fix them sort of thing. But a lot of the time we just, and again, yeah. the trouble and this audience, a lot of this audience are sports therapists, sports massage therapists. And unfortunately, I'm not sure what it's like in physios and um, allied health professionals, but it is all taught like a list, a book, do this test, do this test, then do this test. If it's positive, then it's that. And it's not still not taught enough in that personal way of, so what causes pain? You know, what hurts during the day? You know, people forget. Mm. When I was um, doing my, so before being a consultant in sports medicine, um, I was a trained GP. So when I was doing my GP training, we had to um, trial this technique where, um, well, there's a study that showed on average GPs will cut in uh, and stop the patient talking about after about nine seconds or something like that when they come in with a problem. And so my GP trainer was saying, so when they come in, ask them to sit down and ask them what their problem is and then just try to not talk and see what happens. And so what the, what you're supposed to do is mirror a little bit of what the patient's doing. So if they're crossing their legs, you might like to cross your legs or if they've got their hands in their lap, you can put your hands in your lap and you just have good eye contact and you might just look like you're listening. And the idea was that you try to not talk and allow them to talk. And of course, it's a little bit uncomfortable, people not talking. And so generally, people will fill the space. Um, and it often meant that the person got around to actually telling you what they were actually there for, as opposed to a slight preamble where they might mention their sore throat, for example, uh, and uh, then not get onto the fact that they have crushing central chest pain. Um but uh, if you'd stopped them too early, unfortunately, they then mentioned that about 10 seconds before they're about to leave the clinic. And then suddenly your whole clinic's a disaster. So um, but it was really interesting. And, and so I tried not to jump in now, even though I've got I, I realize I, I'm sitting there listening to them thinking, oh, gosh, I've got a thousand questions now because they've said that and I need to ask them this. But I will try if I absolutely try not to jump in until they've sort of reached a natural conclusion. Um, it's just something to try. Um Oh, definitely yeah hugely important I don't know if you've, uh, a similar yeah oh no without doubt and i've i've heard speaking with gps that yeah i think last time i heard it was called kind of empathy training but show by it's a wonderful way of showing empathy mm. and improving that therapeutic alliance if you do sit back and let them talk and don't keep you know because it shows and and just summing up what they've just said and more all the kind of tricks are just showing understanding and and a shout out to i'm not sure if you're aware of um dr gary mendoza who's been on the show before he's got stages of change so, yeah. have you heard him yeah he's been on the yes, show I before the, yeah uh, lovely uh, we, had, we had him at um therapy expo and um and I'm doing this course actually in February, just motivational interviewing behavior change. And it's all that. Mm. And sometimes it's like, I've noticed myself and my brother, my brother does it especially, but like when he's talking to people, he'll do that. And literally that is to, to stop himself from butting in and saying something. He'll go, mm-hmm, and he'll keep his finger against his mouth. And I realize it's because it's his way of making sure that he doesn't <laughs> jump in straight away. Just to remind him, yeah. you know, seal off I, that. Yeah. It's quite a nice technique. I have to I say, thought. there's also the other side of that where, so I will give them their space to tell their story, which is really important. 
But then when I get onto the bit where I want to clarify bits of their story, one of the key things that I uh, insist upon is that people are specific. So if I say, so if they'll say, so, you know, I've had this bus pain and I've had it um, uh, quite a while now. And, um, and when I get around to it, I'll say, so what is quite a while? And they'll go, oh, you know, um, you know, um, probably a few months, maybe. And I'll say, no, when did it actually start? Mm. And then we work out they've had it for a year and a half. Um, so and then I'll say, well, and how did it actually start? And if it's a traumatic thing in particular, I want to know the exact mechanism. So I'm not going to go into that now necessarily. But my point is, is that I try and it's <laughs> I'm using words that I don't. Uh, it's just a way of expressing myself so I try not to let the patient get away with anything so Mm -hmm. I don't want them to be vague I want them to be accurate in what they say and because it's really important for me to understand what their history is and so I do spend a long time on history and I want to know how they fell which bit they landed on could they get up straight away did something swell did they have any pins and needles or numbness did they go to hospital did they get an x-ray uh, how long they couldn't walk normally for, uh, all these things, uh, so that I get a clear, I see in my head, I can image what actually happened. Because if you can get that right, suddenly it all becomes much, much more clear what the problem could be and how you can help them. Um, so it's allowing time for them to tell their story. And then you need to turn their story into something that you can understand. Um, and that is that's a skill that probably takes years to develop because you have to also understand what they're telling you and what it means when 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 they're telling you Um, but if you don't do it you never move to the next stage which is that you understand you see patterns and you learn um yeah that's great great advice I just realized people listen to the podcast. You couldn't see what I was doing. I was actually putting my finger over my mouth. That's what I was doing then. It just people listen to the podcast going, what was he doing? What was he doing? If we have said anything in this, which you're not sure, just go along to YouTube and watch the video and you'll see what we're doing, but we try and keep it. I try and remember that there's people listening as well. Okay. So, um, you've mentioned, uh, piriformis, you've mentioned, um, sciatica. Um, what about, um, what else? What else do we consider? What are some of the other things which therapists should be aware of? You've mentioned the anatomy. So, so yes. So, well, let's start. Uh, so um, the, the sort of simple things. So let's start with um, proximal hamstring tendinopathy will get you that lower buttock pain and it will give you that pain on sitting. But the things from the history will be so people will have proximal hamstring tendinopathy from things, for example, like doing lots of uphill running or increasing their running load. Equally, it could be because of an acute injury. And the way to injure your proximal hamstrings is to, uh, quite specifically, to go into a kind of lunge position with your front leg, but also at the same time, bend your back forward. So your hamstring, uh, so your hip goes into flexion, if that makes sense. So that's your, let's say your right leg goes forward. Uh, Let's say you skidded on something. And then at the same time, you also your back folded forward and that puts that hamstring that's attached to your ischium under stress. And that can cause an acute overload of your hamstring tendon. Equally, if you do that again and again, a little bit by off, not quite controlling your pelvis as you're, for example, running uphill and you keep lifting your 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 hip into flexion. And at the same time, you're 
not controlling what's happening at your pelvis, that could give you a more chronic overload of your proximal hamstring. And the symptoms of that are often, you know, pain on sitting. They'll often sit off to one side because they don't want to sit on their bum. Uh, and it can also give you discomfort related to the nerves that pass by. So you've got your posterior cutaneous nerve of the thigh, which is a sensory nerve to the back of your thigh. So it could give you pins and needles or numbness or pain there. And you've also got your sciatic nerve just passing about two centimeters or one to just next to your, um, it's coming down and it's passing just here. In fact, hang on a minute, just here, like that. And so it's really close to where the hamstrings attach. Um, and so that can just get annoyed because it's next to the thing that's annoyed. Yeah. Um, and that's just because when you get, when something is overloaded, you will also get cytokines and prostaglandins and chemical irritation related to that uh, hamstring overload. And that will annoy the nerve that's just next door. Um, and then it could also give you sciatic type symptoms. Um, Great point. So, yeah, so, so case history is so important. Hamstring tendinopathy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, then thinking about, um, or what else could it be? So glute, med and min overload tends to give you more kind of lateral hip pain. Um, so we're talking about pain that radiates down to the, uh, so if that's there, and you've got your hip socket like that, and uh, your glute, um, min and med are attached to the greater trochanter. So that's the socket. They're attached to that knobbly bit that sticks out just like that above your, uh, on your femur. Uh, and they're in charge of um, uh, the hip external, internal and external rotation and abduction. Um, and one of the main reasons why people can get an overload of um, their glute med and glute min is particularly because as we get older or as we, if we get deconditioned, our muscles aren't as strong. And if you've got your femur sitting in here like that, and on every step you let your pelvis drop because your muscles are not controlling that pelvic from dropping, then what's happening is that the muscles are not only trying to work, but they're also being stretched and they're also being compressed because of the way they're attached. And they don't like compression and they don't like being stretched and loaded at the same time. So you're going to get uh, overload of the um, uh, gluteal tendons as they're attaching there, which will give you a, a gluteal tendinopathy. Um, and uh, of course, they will complain about pain at night when they lie on their mm -hmm. side because the tendons which attach and uh, attach to that little boat that bony bump on the femur that's sticking out will will give you pain um, i want to check because you mentioned two areas comments. now um let's bring up a question becky's in the house let's see becky says cause is always weak glutes no weak glutes no said with yeah. sarcasm i find it astonishing how many gluteal pain <laughs> sufferers believe their pain is due to weak glutes how often is this likely to be the case that's a brilliant question because, um, and I often talk to my patients uh, in clinic and say, doctors and physios love to tell people their bum muscles are weak, mm. they've got weak glutes. And uh, very often it's not because they have weak glutes. It could be because their glutes are not activating. Uh, it could genuinely be because their glutes are weak, or it could be that they're just weak for the job that you're asking them to do. So they could be quite strong, but it's just that you've decided to do something that's really very high impact. And so therefore you've overloaded them. Equally, I also work in an NHS ultrasound clinic, and there are definitely, 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 definitely people who have weak glutes. Um, and that's because uh, maybe they're a bit older, they've been very inactive, um, 
or for example, they've had a total hip replacement and didn't do their uh, strength work afterwards, perhaps not because of their fault, but perhaps they weren't given the right things to do in the right way at the right time, or they just didn't know what to do. Uh, there's certainly never any um, blame attached to these things because people end up in situations for, you know, no no fault of their own. But but um, you're absolutely right. Um, we should be we shouldn't blame our patients for uh, not having the strength to do the things that they've done, which has resulted in them having pain. Um, it's not like they wanted to have pain, and they were and potentially they were being enthusiastic and decided they wanted to start running. Uh, it's just relative to the thing that they've chosen to do, they perhaps don't have the strength, which has caused the tendon overload, which has therefore resulted in pain. Um, so, yes. Uh, Great point, uh, Becky. I, I, I believe in try, trying not to tell people off for having, um, you know, a muscle that perhaps isn't working optimally. Uh, and it's about then. But I do believe in trying to say, well, do, can you see that this muscle isn't working perhaps as well? And uh, Ema and I in clinic will try to demonstrate what's going on. And I have to say that one of the other things in clinic that is quite powerful is that one of us is assessing and the other one of us is typing. Um, and so the person who is assessing will say what they see. So I will go, okay, neutral limb alignment. They've got equal quads. Uh, turn around. Okay, the left hamstring is down. Uh, the calves are equal. Okay, put my hands on your bum muscles. Squeeze your bum cheek. Okay, the left glute is down. And then I'll go, okay, and now your um, iliac crests are not level. Uh, and so as I'm saying it, the people are going, oh, you know, uh, my glutes are down on that side, you know, because it's, uh, it's been noticed. And, um, and similarly, when I'm doing hip range of movement, I'm calling out the numbers. And so um, patients will see the process of examination and they will see the the uh, the way that it's uh, uh, registered and that it's relevant and that how that feeds into the diagnosis at the end. Um, and I try to then summarize it at the end saying, well, you, you saw that we, 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 we saw that and uh, we saw that uh, your glutes were less bulky than the other side. It hangs together with the symptoms you're having. It stands to reason that regardless of whether we do surgery whether we do an injection, whether we do rehab, whatever we're doing, regardless, it would be the benefit to get stronger. Um, and that helps them to buy into the kind of, hopefully buy into the, the process of uh, doing some strength work and, and wanting to be more active. And um, because unfortunately, at the end of the day, most treatments um, that are going to be longer lasting to allow people to get back to activity will involve movement. Um, how, that doesn't mean because I, I absolutely believe that laying hands on people and allowing them to move in a way that's less painful, that perhaps doesn't involve their doctor giving them medication, is very important as well. Um, whereas I know that there are uh, others who perhaps um, uh, are not keen on letting, patient, letting patients get away with passive therapies. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not bad to make someone feel good uh, to release tissues that uh, then are more comfortable to move. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted anyway, so I don't know. <laughs> no, it's a great point to make. Point is worth making. No, definitely. Yeah. I remember Paul Coker, who you, you might be familiar with down in Cornwall he, at my one chat live conference, he did a presentation on passive modalities and he was conscious that a lot of the other speakers there 
we're in this was like 2019 we're kind of saying oh this doesn't do anything and this is an evidence-based and his first opening statement is why is it we really don't like to do things to people which makes them hurt less what is it about that that we always got to say you mustn't do that when they're saying well that feels lovely no don't do that this has got any evidence so no, there's so much truth in what you said it's it's weird isn't it um i think it's where academia maybe kind of takes over and we forget about the patient's experience there's you mentioned um strength work this is really interesting because i know again one of the kind of um weaknesses in a lot of the syllabi which are taught to sports massage therapists sports therapists not so much graduates but definitely leading up to university is is the absence of strength work and there's still a lot of impetus put on uh, stretching everything's stretching normally because something um feels tight or pain is confused with oh, i must be tight and and also that kind of paradelia thing where you you imagine you touch something you think oh yeah this definitely feels tight the therapist is all part of the kind of like image as well and but you've mentioned a couple of situations where i'm keen to hear about where stretching could be an issue it could make it worse um for example with the greater trochanter pain syndrome and and also with the um proximal hamstring tendinopathy is it something where stretching should be taken away or reduced or do we kind of overplay that yeah so i'm not desperately keen on stretching for tendinopathies partly because they're already a bit cross because they are being potentially stretched and overloaded when you let's say do the thing that uh Mm. brings on the pain in the first place um i prefer um release of the muscle because you can target the muscle with manual therapy or for example um you know a foam roller or some kind of tennis ball or something without touching the tendon generally tendons hurt if you poke them uh, particularly if they're obviously if they're overloaded so you know you'd never tell people to foam roller their achilles tendinopathy you might get them to foam roller their calf um uh, and so um i think it's given that in my head, you can get the same result from releasing the muscle without stretching. I wouldn't stretch something that was necessarily injured. I would prefer to uh, release the muscle and then move that particular body part, move that joint to encourage functional movement. That's where I'm coming from. If -hmm. people love stretching, fantastic. However, there are some things that I definitely wouldn't stretch. And that there's, um, so I try to tell people who are hypermobile not to stretch. Um, uh, obviously, and I know this came up last week, um, and that's one of the things they often really enjoy doing because it's the thing that they're good at. But stretching things that are already stretched um, or stretchy uh, isn't necessarily good. Um, and what they're doing is stretching the ligaments that are already stretchy. Uh, if they actually want to release the muscles, again, it should be foam rollers. But again, those muscles are the only thing hanging on to that joint. And so um, actually, uh, we should be encouraging in people that have high mobility levels is inc- encouraging functional movements around joints. So improving uh, low level strength and control uh, so that they get better proprioception, um, better ability to manage loads when they're doing whatever activity they're doing. Um, but there are some people who are extremely tight who probably would benefit from greater flexibility. Um, uh, and um, uh, yes, uh, there probably is a place. Uh, so in the work that we do in the MOD, I'm very keen on um, 
yoga flow yoga type workouts which rather than holding things at end range for a long period of time it's more moving through postures so uh yes a a flexibility kind of movement in fact we've called it uh, the warrior workout to kind of move a little bit get the guys in yeah yeah. yoga which yeah exactly a little (laughs) get, get them on board with the with the movement patterning um uh, but um, yeah, so it's uh, it's it's movement uh, near end, you know, into end range and back out of it, a fluid movements rather than just going somewhere and doing static stretching. Definitely, yeah, I'm totally on board with that. I've always said that a lot of the benefits of yoga is moving from one position to another. It's not necessary, and a lot of yoga teachers I talk to will say, yeah, that's the whole point of it. How long you stand a pose is something else because maybe you're improving that stability and that but it's the moving and the flow into the next position and that makes mm. sense because that's what we do in life isn't it it's moving from one position to another and getting variability so it's nice to hear you say that kind of a vinyasa thing isn't it? Isn't that the flowing movement one and as opposed to just stretching for the sake of it gosh well look it's 904 already um that went very quickly too quickly okay. as always um but i'm very excited to hear that um are you going to be able to come back next week yeah, you gonna, sure. yeah, yeah that'd be amazing. Come back, I think. Yeah. And then Ema's going to be in the corner typing. Is she going to say things? And Ema's going to be typing what you say down. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. <laughs> gonna, and I, Alex, Alex has uh, asked a question about week. Oh, week, let's bring and, it up. Um, Alex, you should come back next week because I think uh, Ema will, will be able to cover that easily in her, um, you know, how to, how, to make, how to change things, basically. Oh, cliffhanger yeah. for next week, Alex. There you go. You're going to have to come back. Alex asked, going back to the weak <laughs> glutes point, how do we test to see if glutes are weak? How do we test to show that their strength has improved? Yeah, we'll leave that for next week if that's okay, Alex. And also the other thing which I'll be asking you next week is how do we know that that muscle is showing reduced strength because that's part of the pain experience they're going through and it needs to be. It's not the cause of the pain. Maybe that's just one of the symptoms oh, of, yeah. you know, it could be that as well. You know, the that part of recovery is not yeah. using it. So it's it's a tricky one. But what a great cliffhanger. What a great part, um, pathway to next week. So, yeah, um, thanks, Alex. I hope you are able to make it back. If not, let me know, and I'll make sure you get a link to the recording. Um, but, yeah, we are back next week. Um, so I'm um, really looking forward to that. Dr. Sarah Rollins will be um, back with colleague. Um, this is colleague then in the, in the Ministry of Defence, yeah? Or is it pure as well? Uh, no, so Ema, um, Ema Acton is a... Um specialist clinical specialist physio and she works in the ministry of defense however she has she is just about to move to a very fancy pastures new at Mm. mclaren to work in f1 and i'm devastated but um she deserves it because uh, she's brilliant. But yes, and you can ask her about that next week. Yeah, I've, I've been given privy to some of that. It'd be very exciting. We'll make sure that all goes into the write-up. So yeah. Um, so yes, people, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I'm going to have to um, let um, Sarah Rollins go now. Um, I'm sure you've got other things um, you need to be doing. But um, yeah, join us next week. Um, if you listen to the podcast and you think, I want to get in there and ask these people questions directly, then all you've got to do is go along to the Sports Therapy Association YouTube channel and um a couple of days before the advert for the episode will appear and you can click on the remind button and they'll send you out a reminder when we're about to go live otherwise just follow us on social media either uk underscore sta um, or sports therapy association on facebook or follow me run chat live anywhere and i put out loads and loads of adverts to let people know what's coming up um thanks people again for joining us um in the live lounge gary benson founded the sta says thank you sarah for sharing your extensive knowledge in my army days in order shot i don't think we were as well looked after no gary i'm sure um 
have to make sure you're here next week, Gary, and we can swap some stories. I was expecting you to come up with a few army stories and the whole of your family, all your mini Garys. Um, Nikki Mansfield says, great stuff. Thanks, Sarah and Matt. Um, uh, thanks, as always. Gary comes back. Uh, great episode, Sarah and Matt. So, yeah. Part two next week, where we look at some of the practical of what to do if um, we've decided these people are suffering from different conditions. So, um, Sarah, don't go yet. I'm just going to shut down the lounge and I'll say goodbye to you quickly. And um, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And hopefully we'll see some of you next week. Take care. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast, putting evidence back into soft tissue therapy.